0: On Collins People this week a huge week for Brexit, but Boris makes it all about him. People
1: are wondering, no, no, are you, you going to resign? Just no, no, we're gonna, of, not course gonna, of course not.
0: Vince Cable as Prime Minister. I think it's perfectly plausible. Take us through it. As, as,
1: leader, as leader of the third UK party, my job is to be the alternative Prime Minister. Labour's England problem.
0: Will the party ever learn to love the flag of St George?
1: There are people in the Labour Party who instinctively recoil from these things.
0: All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's Politics Podcast. With me, Owen Bennett, Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. How are you? Not bad. Good. Paul Wall. How are you, Paul? Hello. Good. Hello. And Rachel, I was and Rachel Wymouth How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We're Hello. all we're all jolly good, then, are we? <laughs> Lovely stuff. Okay, let's kick off, shall we? You had been a bit. Quiet recently, but Boris Johnson made sure he was front and centre of British politics this week with a 4,000 word article on Brexit and all the wonderful opportunities it will afford the UK. The publication of the piece just a week before Theresa May's big Brexit speech in Florence led to suggestions the Foreign Secretary was trying to bounce the PM into backing his vision of Brexit. This includes not paying any money to access a single market and being able to act with regulatory freedom. Rumours soon circulated that Boris was preparing to quit the cabinet. A question that was put to him by journalists outside a lift in a New York hotel after the foreign secretary had been for a jog.
1: What you have is a uh, a government working together to deliver a glorious Brexit. That's what we're Are you, are you as you, one? Are the two of you as, as one now? Mr. But you're
2: not going to sign, are you? Because you said. You weren't quite clear on that yesterday. You were talking, talking about your le- legacy, which what I was a bit mean? surprised by. I was rather surprised by the question.
1: It seemed to me to be... relevant. I was trying to think of a... Of a, of a you know a, a polite answer people you're are wondering, wondering. So people you're going to no, 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 no,
2: no. see the speech though aren't you you're going to have a collective cabinet aren't you on Thursday you see, I where, think our viewers are going to be very Biden?
1: distressed to see me without having had a shower I mean it's most they they are people are wondering Boris people are, you are wondering, wondering. wondering are you, are are you going started? to resign just no, tell me no no we're going to of course not so
0: Boris Johnson there saying that he's not going to resign how could you possibly how could anyone have possibly Boris Johnson was a bit unhappy with what's going on. I mean, it's difficult now because we're recording this podcast on Thursday about quarter past one. Theresa May's big speech is Friday. So if you're listening at the weekend, you'd have already heard the speech. But don't worry because the war zone, I think he's doing a special one in the Brexit briefing, is going to do one tomorrow as well. So you'll have two opportunities to read what she said. But let's talk about the context of Boris here. And what does that tell us about Theresa May's grip on power I mean, I mean well he's ned
3: to use his phrase he's having his cake and eating it isn't he he gets to be the chief brexiteer to the party for any future leadership um uh, competition but he gets to keep his job as foreign secretary because the prime minister's too weak to sack him so for him he's kind of the perfect situation
4: well, i'm not sure i 100 percent agree because i think he kind of risks weakening his own position because he kind of looks like the boy who cried wolf a lot of the time. Mm. There's um, is danger of Because his yeah. leadership,
0: aborted leadership campaign last year yeah. he does seem to like marching people up the hill and then yeah.
2: march them back down again. And we've just had the spectacle um, and Ned's done a piece on this where... You've had this extraordinary uh, scene where you have a cabinet meeting, and immediately afterwards, you have Boris and Philip Hammond being sent out side by side in a show of solidarity. But it just did look like, you know, the head teacher saying, Right, you two, two schoolboys, you've been mucking about, go out in front of the class, in front of the whole of the assembly, in front of the whole school, and say, Look, actually, we're really friends, and shake on it. Now, actually, no one really believes it, but that's the picture that will be on all the bulletins uh, tonight. It was. And as they most people will listen to this tonight if not on Friday and that's the image that will be in all the Friday morning papers so from a PR management point of view it's actually quite canny and don't forget that um, Robbie Gibb who used to be the man in charge of politics at the BBC is now running communications in number 10 and he would have been very very aware of how it looks today. They're not briefing after this cabinet meeting, there's no lobby briefing there's no journalistic briefing overnight they're going to trail but a tiny tiny bit of the speech just nothing substantial just a scene setter I understand so it's all going to be on the PM's words tomorrow so and that's actually yeah, quite an achievement p- for number 10
0: yeah which most people might have already heard and listened to this so I just want to stick what this tells us about Boris because in his article he fired up about 350 million pound Figure, which was notorious during the referendum, and the way that he couched it in the article was, "We'll have control back of three hundred Didn't you, sa- you say that we send it EU 350 million, which is a bit of a slight difference from what the campaign. This then prompted a huge row with the head of the uh, UK Stats Authority. Um, but you know, why is Boris bringing this number up? Because this number, surely, is like a chain running. State. didn't. I read somewhere maybe in your war zone that it's like Clegg's, you know, tuition fees thing. This this could this could sort of mar. Boris for as long as that's Maude Clegg and the Lib Dems.
2: Well I don't think I actually personally think he it wasn't, that wasn't much of an error because it did get people talking and leave voters talking about why are we sending all this money over there and I do believe that actually that's the whole point of it. He, he's, he's Decided to revive the whole row because he can't run away from it. It will always dog him forever. He's got to try and defend it and he's got to justify it by saying, look, I'm on the side of the people. And there's a lot of millions and millions of money that we sent to the EU. I, I at least am addressing this issue and saying how should we spend it?
3: And if the point of the article was to try and stop Theresa May agreeing to give lots of money to the EU in, in the so-called Brexit bill, then the 350 million is number is a very obvious way to get into that argument because everyone remembers that from the campaign.
4: A lot of people will be questioning why Theresa May hasn't sacked him. <laughs> um, but one of my favourite quotes about um, this that I read this week, it was a, um, a tweet from uh, Pippa Creera from The Standard, who'd been uh, briefed from Number 10, said it's, um, she's decided it's better to keep Boris inside the tent pissing all over himself. <laughs> which <laughs> 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 And that's true, actually,
2: because ultimately, in um, pol- terms of pure policy, I think what we'll find out in this in this Florence speech, there may well be some shift forward, some sort of offer to Europe. It won't be specific. But if you're Theresa May, at the end of this week, you'll have basically got a unified cabinet who won't step out of line again, because will be tired anyone who does. You'll have had the policy that really hasn't changed since... She started writing this speech because Boris has agreed that you will have to continue paying something to Europe during the transition period. So from her point of view, in terms of pure policy terms, she's been quietly effective, whereas Boris has been loudly ineffective, in my opinion. But that's policy. In terms of politics, I think Ned's right, and you're right, which is that actually... He's put himself on the map and he's made himself more of a name again. And he said, "Look, I'm here. I'm not going away." The danger, though, as Rachel says, is that in doing so, as he as he underlined the sort of disloyalty gene, which a lot of pe- and you know a lot of people MPs in particular are needed to get him on any leadership ballot, and he does not have a huge number of friends amongst MPs.
3: And that's actually... Um, Norman Tebbit on the radio yesterday made that exact point that even if he does become Prime Minister, because of things like this, no one will ever trust him, even if he does actually get the job.
0: I mean, I speak to a lot of Tory MPs, and backbenchers, benches particularly, just, even before this, who were just sort of exasperated with the actions of Boris anyway. Uh, and, and this has just obviously just sort of
2: fitted into all of that. Yeah, and it also underlines thing. the fact that he's a journalist. You know, at, at heart, Boris is a journalist. Brexit... as Well, he's a we- journalist who used to... <laughs> Openly make stuff up, but this is my point. In, in, in a journalist, in lots of senses, because don't forget, Brexit is a Boris column that went wrong. Okay, that that's in, in many ways how, how a lot of the world can see Brexit, and this it all stems from the fact that Boris has this bully pulpit in the Daily Telegraph. No other cabinet minister has this let's be honest, a gift for for writing, and he does have a gift for writing, or for the or, or 4, the, sh- or the shop window, which is Daily Telegraph. Even Michael who used to write pieces for The Times before he went into government, doesn't write anymore. So Boris is the only one who's got this amazing licence to do this kind of thing, and he's used it.
0: He has. I just wonder whether or not... I mean, I, I don't think he's ever going to become Prime Minister, but I thought one of the interesting things in there was when he talked about regulatory freedom, because one of the... That there's different notions of what our relationship with the EU could be, and there's one called EEA minus, and oh, the yeah. minus is no freedom of movement, but it basically means that we're going to align our regulatory system, one of our regulations, with the EU, and we won't diverge from that unless we get permission from Brussels, which kind of isn't really taking back control. Brexiteers would argue people who, who want to see us basically staying in the single market would say, well, this is the only way to do it. You've got to copy the regulations or that kind of stuff. Boris obviously doesn't want
2: that. Boris basically wants a hard Brexit, doesn't he? Well, yes and no. I mean, if you if he did want a hard Brexit, he would quit, let's be honest, because this speech I think we're going to see um, is not going to be a hard Brexit. It's going to be an attempt to have, um, you know, give and take with Europe. And I think actually, as I say, on policy, I think the PM has won. On the politics, he's won in terms of giving himself a bit of a, a profile. Excellent.
0: Um, speaking of all um, of this... If <laughs> Boris Johnson <laughs> was to quit... Sorry, i just... I'll just uh, it's all right. Seamless. Adline. <laughs> listen, if Boris Johnson was to quit, he would have served as Foreign Secretary for 436 days if he was to quit tomorrow. the day going to quiz, isn't it? I want you to tell me whether these Foreign Secretaries serve for longer or less than 436 days.
3: Okay. okay? What's what are the two what, options? What's the
0: um, if, if they've served longer, then... Um, I don't know. Bojo or Nojo? Bo- yeah, Bojo or Nojo. There we are. That's good. That works, isn't it? So Bojo okay. if it's more. More. And Nojo if it's less. Yeah? yeah. Doesn't yeah. really no, work. Bojo if it's less. Bojo if it's less. Nojo, Nojo if, it's if it's more. Okay, right. Okay. Philip Hammond. Uh,
3: longer. What's the longer one?
0: Um, Nojo. That one. <laughs> yeah,
3: Philip
2: Hammond served longer than Boris. That, that oh, mm, oh. I, I'm mm, not sure now, but I'll stick with it. Stay with I'm going to say no. I'm going to go No-J. No, Joe. He's done longer than Boris.
0: No, he did 365 days. He Ooh, did a year.
2: We did one year.
0: Margaret Beckett. Ooh. Ooh. First I feel female, female. I feel like that's less, but... Foreign secretary. Um, Bojo, First female foreign secretary, Rachel. I what think she think? did longer than Boris. Bojo. longer. Longer. What do you think?
3: Well, I've said less now. Now I feel I'm wrong. But Wasn't I Bojo for shorter and Nojo for
0: longer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. oh yeah. I mean, the naming system's really gone... So yeah. no joke. It's not, not confused. working. <laughs> right, so you think longer than Boris, Rachel. I'm pointing are working I think, than this than really working I, think
2: I think she's done longer than Boris.
0: Uh, she did. 419 days. Mm. Terrible at this game. Malcolm Rifkind. <laughs> uh, uh, and just to reassure you, Ned, Roy Jenkins was never gone <laughs> on secretary, I okay? <laughs> just in uh, case <laughs> you think that's coming. I've just hit you with a... <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, surely. Malcolm Rifkind. I'm going to say... Malcolm
3: Rifkin. Shorter, because I think you feel like it would be longer. Mm,
0: yeah, you would have Malcolm Rifkin, wouldn't you?
2: He wasn't that long, but I'm going to say more than Boris. Rachel? I'm going to go with that and say, is it Nojo? Nojo. I don't. don't <laughs> yeah.
0: 667 oh, days. Okay, I mean.
2: Is that longer? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm doing uh, really badly. James Callahan. Ooh. Mm. Very short period, surely.
0: Or was it, though, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> was it? Surely. No, play along at home, listener.
2: Because he was, <laughs> he has the distinction of having been chancellor yeah. and foreign secretary before becoming and prime home minister secretary. and home secretary. Yeah. It yeah, amazing it's amazing CV. has got to it, it's, it's be short, surely. I'm going to say Boris is longer than him. Rachel, um, I'll go for Nojo, just to be contrary. Which one was
0: that? <laughs> but less,
4: isn't it less? I don't know. No,
0: I longer. think I don't
3: know. He was shorter.
0: He was longer, 703 days oh. and 74 to 76. God, to say, that's why I was just copying Paul. <laughs> and, and finally, and right. finally, and finally, John Major.
2: Oh, that was really short. Sure. Surely. Yeah. Surely less than Boris. <laughs> Again, he's someone else who, did, who was, who's briefly had all these jobs. So. He was never home, was he? No, well, well yeah. never no home, but he had, had a chance yeah. to land, he had foreign. Um, nice. I'm going to say shorter than Boris.
0: Ned? Shorter. Rachel?
2: I'll say longer. It was
0: shorter. It was 94 days. Just 94 days. 94 days, in days, in days in as in Yeah, then he was moved to wow. Charleston. Yeah. So uh, there we are. Other people who've also had served quite short time. George Brown, uh, 583 days.
2: One of your favourite
0: MPs. Oh, my favourite? Oh, I, I love George Brown. I found that man the other day. Uh, so there we are. So that was this week's quiz. Thank you wasn't great, was it? It's but not the yeah. end, listener. It's not, it's the, not, end. not <laughs> the end. It might sound like the end. Yeah. But it's not the end because we have got, Lib Dem. we have got... Um, <laughs> we got Ned uh, Simon's conference report. Conference report. We do that
3: every time.
2: It's
0: like a thing, like a ticker tape thing. That's
3: annoying. Listen, come on. Analog in a digital age. Yeah. Normally, at a conference after an election, there's sort of like a autopsy of what happened, or when wrong, went and right what was very clear here was they kind of pretended the election didn't happen. So their strategy going to the well, election... gave a speech as well. well yeah, yeah. I mean, the strategy going to the election was um, go full on Remainer and that'll win us loads of votes because people realise that Brexit's terrible. Their strategy now is people are going to come over to us because Brexit's terrible. They haven't changed the strategy, they've just changed their leader. And that was a bit weird. I think... Uh, a former Lib Dem kind of senior minister in the coalition said that he's happy that this kind of a serious grown-up is now in charge of the party in Vince Cable, which I think is quite a good point. He is a very different man than mm. Tim Farron. So he is taken seriously by the media and by voters on economic issues, whereas Farron perhaps wasn't. However, he's got the opposite problem, I think, to Farron in that Cable's also quite boring. Mm. So the actual atmosphere in the conference was quite... It wasn't down, but it wasn't kind of that kind of sparky, fun, silly libdem atmosphere. Should you ever listen to his yeah. bit of a speech?
0: Because yeah. he was a funny. but he had a couple of, a couple of gags. Here's, here's one of them.
1: And now another disaster looms. Brexit. It's the product of a fraudulent and frivolous campaign led by two groups of silly public schoolboys reliving their dormitory pillow fights. And... Uh, <laughs> And now, thanks to uh, Boris Johnson, they've degenerated into a full-scale school riot with the head teacher hiding Barricaded in her office.
2: There Nothing okay. gets the Lib Dem yeah. audience like referring to public schools. Pillbox. <laughs> 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 Streaky I, mean, yeah. I
3: mean, I guess the, the, the kind of main headline from the conference as well was Vince Cable saying hilariously that he could be the next prime minister. Now it yeah. sort of has to say that in a sense. You does he? Ha- he doesn't have to. Say no, that. I mean, I mean even Jeremy but Corbyn. Says no, that but you were saying you know, that at one point. If you talk to sort of a lot of the you know kind of senior Lib Dems the MPs, they know he's just saying it to get attention. They know it's not a real possibility. Um, but you do hear from a lot of the activists as well. Look, look what happened in France. You know, the, the leaders, now the Liberal, where they came from nothing. But I think what they're missing, there, obviously, is that that was from nothing. The Lib Dems aren't from nothing. They're a very tarnished brand from particular people they need, to, they need to win over. And I think uh, Cable knows this as well, because he, the most important part, I thought, of his speech, the jokes about Brexit aside, was him telling his party we need to be more than Brexit. He said we can't win by being reverse UKIP. And uh, that's very much in his head. It was clear if you listened to what Cable was saying before the election... He was very clear. He was saying this election isn't about Brexit. People are talking about education and healthcare. So whilst I think a lot of the activists are quite energised about fighting Brexit and trying to get kind of a more, well, not just a Remainy Brexit, actually stop it happening, I think at the top of the party, they realise perhaps they can't. I need to move beyond that.
2: I think the interesting thing for the Lib Dems is going to be Brexit itself. You know, the next general election will be after we've left mm, Europe. Exactly. And it's a really completely different scenario. So will the Lib Dems use that as an opportunity to say, look, we're moving beyond Brexit, we're, we're going to keep the government um, sensible on this transition period, we're much more pro-EU than Labour is, and there's a point of difference. You can vote for Lib Dems because actually we'll, we'll get enough MPs to actually make sure that this kind of Brexit is, is a decent Brexit. And don't forget, as Ned says, they tried that last we tried that in 2017 general election and it bombed because Corbyn made the issue not about Brexit, about the issue was more about Mm. austerity and fighting what the government was doing. And I suspect the real problem for the Lib Dems will be in the next general election, that narrative will dominate even more. Have the cuts made Britain poorer? Has Brexit made Britain poorer?
0: Let's just have a listen to a couple of activists you caught up with, Ned. And before I play this clip, just give us a nice picture of what were they wearing Ned what was was a prominent thing there
3: lovely homemade blue and yellow EU flag berets which you could spot around the conference homemade
0: by you no (laughs) is this (laughs) starting to sound more and more like UKIP yeah. Well,
4: I think it's been a very stimulating, active. There's a, a bi- obviously Brexit has, has yeah. unified everybody, and yeah. there's a huge number of, of new members. I mean, I'm a new member joined after the rest of my husband is. I think there's a huge, you know, everybody's excited. Right. But we, we you know, what we're looking for is how can we strategically attack this stop Brexit. So a lot of what we're talking about in fringe groups and Q and A
1: how do we get out and as my colleague from Bath for Europe just said, you know, we're out on the street in Bath all the time leafleting, talking to people and the angry leavers, you know, they, they scream
4: at us, they say, you know, it was the will of the people. But how can we help them, Anna, if you want to repeat
2: said? I said, you know, we're up against people who for the first time in their life voted and won. And whatever we say to them, the perception is that we're going to want to take their victory away right, from right. them. So we have to find a way of telling them, yes, you won on false premises. We're not going to take... Victory, we, we want to make
0: that victory meaningful. So that's, that's, a, that's a difficult pitch there, isn't it? It's how do you say to people, You mm. won, but you're wrong? Yeah,
3: yeah. And there was a lot of talk at the conference down in Bournemouth about the language the Lib Dems use to argue for this second referendum they want. I mean, for starters, they're very keen now not to call it a second referendum, but a first referendum on the Brexit deal and that's they're trying to change the language. And just one more thing about the activists. It's quite notable the difference between the older members, I mean that by length of time they've been in the party, and the ones that have joined since the referendum. The ones we just heard who've joined since the referendum, energised by stopping Brexit, are quite positive. The ones that have been found a long time during the coalition years are a bit more, uh, if not negative, but understand the problem they have overcoming the coalition uh, years.
4: And they have so few fresh faces to actually... Mm. You know Put forward any yeah. points. I mean, Leila Moran's quite interesting. I actually? think
3: she she's really interesting, and it's notable again at Lidcombe Conference how many ex MPs you see walking around. If anything, there's more ex MPs who lost their seats in 2015 than current sitting MPs.
2: And Leila Moran was the one at the fringe meeting who said mm. that all this about Vince Cable being prime minister is f- quite fun. I mean, you know, you're saying that about your own leader. You've only got 12 MPs, and one of your MPs is saying it's fun the idea that your your leader could be Prime Minister. She said, "But actually, let's focus on the real world." And you know, that's the problem with this party. We're obsessed with thinking we're going back into power quite quickly.
0: Because the problem that the Lib Dems always had historically is they're always accused of fighting yesterday's battles, weren't they? Even as the SDP, they're always accused of just trying to win the arguments that had already been sort of settled. And I guess they're they're falling into that trap again, aren't they? With
2: Brexit, how do you If they. On paint themselves as a, just a Brexit party. I think that's, there's no future in it, is there?
0: Let's move on to the Labour Party. remember them? Um, Mr Paul Waugh spoke to a former Labour MP called John Denham this week to discuss Labour's English problem. And here's a little, uh, little excerpt of that interview. But yes, you
1: will find people in, in the Labour Party, some people who will assume that a St. George's Cross means, you know, English Defence League, hating migrants, reactionary and everything. In fact, of course, actually there are more people in England who identify as English to some degree than there are people who identify as British. Yeah. There are more people who emphasise their Englishness than people who emphasise their Britishness. So if you, if you stereotype everybody who feels proud of being Eng- English as a um, right-wing, anti-migrant, xenophobic, you're actually making two mistakes. One is, you're actually completely misunderstanding what most people in England feel about being English. And secondly, you're projecting onto millions and millions of people a set of values that they would reject. Now, it's, it's, it, I'm not by any means saying that's the whole of the Labour Party, but there are people in the Labour Party who instinctively recoil from these things. And you know, if you go on Twitter, you find that very really quickly.
0: Right-wing, anti-migrant, xenophobic, Rachel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your take on this? Because it's an interesting thing, isn't it? We don't talk about English that much uh, in politics. We talk about Scottish identity, mm-hmm. even Welsh identity, but why are Labour so scared of the of this English thing? And, and is there a way that they can not be scared of it anymore?
4: I don't know if it's so much the Labour Party's scared of talking about it. I don't know how... I don't know how much, of it a conver- how much it's a conversation among people generally. Um, I thought some of the more interesting things he had to say were actually about devolution to to cities. I think um, a lot of people would identify as a Scouser or a Manc or a Geordie. Um, and one of the interesting things um, that Andy Burnham said when I went um, to interview him in Manchester um, a couple of weeks back was that um, the future he saw for the city was was um, partnering up with other progressive cities and... Um, across Europe um, and doing trade deals that way in the same way that some cities in America had kind of said that they might been um, Trump's opposition to the Climate Change Accords. So I think...
2: Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? There's multiple identities. I mean, this is a point John Denham was saying. People can at the same time feel like they're really proud of being English, really proud of being a Mancunian, really proud of being a European and also being proud of being British, there's lots of different ways you think of yourself. And, you know, it, it, he's making a valid point, which is that, you know, Labour at the moment is not the races when it comes to English, a sense of English identity. And, you know, the raw stats are obvious. If you're not going to immediately win all those Scottish seats back, you need English seats to win a general election. If you need English seats to win a general election, then you're going to have to do something about this, this subject. The, the last time Labour had the same proportion of English votes as it had as the UK votes was in 2001. It's a long time ago.
3: I mean, you talk about cities, Rachel. It's like one of Labour's problems. When they think about England, they think about Manchester, Liverpool, and they kind of maybe don't think about the smaller towns where perhaps people have a stronger sense of English identity. Yeah. It's weird for me to use a football analogy, but it's not a coincidence that most football fans who are big England fans come from small towns where there's not a big Premier League team to support. It's so why you see flags with the kind of... the places you've never really heard of at, at matches yep. and that's where the strongest English identity is. I mean John demon has been banging on about this for quite a long time. I remember him talking about it before the 2015 election, um, kind of accusing Miliband of not focusing on the South and that yep. English identity then. So I think Labour perhaps needs to think beyond the cities and kind of smaller parts of England where I totally they're, they're agree. totally
2: and that's exactly the point I was uh, the, the point about the English flags and having into Gillinghams, your mm. Rochdales, your Rotherhams all on there. I discussed this with John precisely that. It's spooky actually, you know, that he yeah. raised that because that was what we were talking about. And he agreed, you know, that is why there's a strong sense of a small town uh place for a lot of people that then translates into english nationalism or english pride it's pride in your town and pride in england and it's not pride in britain it's quite interesting it's very rare that you know people will whether it's football or whatever go on about britain and i think that's that's why L- labor is now in an interesting place because Jeremy Corbyn, as Denham points out, had one of the most English manifestos that has been in Labour for years. He's proposed a Minister for England in the 2017 General Election Manifesto. Most people missed this in all the mm-hmm. hullabaloo. But if you look at the Labour's last manifesto, it had a Minister for England. It wanted a rebalancing and equal rights for England and the rest of the country. Um, And, you know, talked about this constitutional settlement being revised, going beyond Miliband, the idea of these, you know, Saints Days and that St. George's Day could have a national holiday that, you know, at least Corbyn is is edging towards some of this. And that's what's interesting. This unites the right and the left and the centre of the Labour Party. One of the the Labour
0: politicians who was... Who was brilliant at this kind of patriotism stuff was Tony Blair. Tony Blair was draping himself again, maybe not in St. George's flag, but certainly in the Union Jack, and you associate him in opposition, you know, with Noel Gallagher and his guitar, or the England in the Euro 96, and Blair was totally not at all ashamed to be seen as an English patriot. I mean, he was technically Scottish though, wasn't he? But anyway, he was certainly not ashamed to wear the flag, was it? He did a lot of reclaiming of that. So, why have, how have Labour let that go? Was that through just through Gordon Brown yeah, and but Ed but Miliband? But or? is that right
3: though? I mean, I don't know if Tony Blair, whilst you're right, he w- was happily draping himself in the flag, but you know, it wasn't it more, it was Britishness, it was called cool Britannia, it was the Union Jack, it wasn't the English flag, it wasn't the St. George's flag. So, I think. Uh, that that's kind of the problem, I think. That it's for for a long time the English flag has been ignored. It's been neglected. I think
4: that's right. Uh, there's there's a risk that it can come become a bit adversarial as well when it comes to
3: Scottish voters because mm. I
4: know when because um, UKIP don't really have any, any voters in Scotland. <laughs> don't and one one to of the, David Cameron, <laughs> one of the policies <laughs> that um, Paul Nuttall tried to push at the last election was scrapping the Barnett formula, which um, mm. would be poison to a lot of voters up in Scotland.
2: Well, that's true. But the the other part about this is that. The people who are pushing this, the the English Labour Network, as I say, look, there's a long, Radical English tradition, which we forget our peril. So the Chartists, the Tolpuddle Martyrs, you know, original trade union rights. Um, there's lots of um, historical e- examples of people in England, as opposed to just Scotland or Wales, having an English sense of look, socialism, some kind of social justice. And that's why I think people on the left really like this idea because they're saying they're going back to the roots of all those people who did all those struggles and translate into the modern era and you should they basically they're saying that risks getting lost it really does uh let's
0: move on now to uh the well the, the sort of one woman exclusive generator this week that is rachel Wilmouth, who has found out some great stuff talk us through first of all the stuff you found out on probation services this was quite a sort yeah, of bizarre story. The,
4: uh, fascinating story this um the 21 community re- rehabilitation companies, which um, took over from probation trusts back in 2015, um, they've been handed an additional 37 million over and above their government contract amount.
0: Because they're doing um, so well? Um, one, <laughs> would, one would assume.
4: <laughs> no? Well, um, figures have shown that there's been a 25% increase in violent reoffending. Oh. So this is people on probation um, who've been charged with things like murder, rape, you know. Um, GBH so they're rewarding failure as Labour put it.
0: (laughs) Can we instigate that as a policy in this office rewarding failure because (laughs) I would be making quite a lot of money.
4: (laughs) Um, Yes it's it's fascinating Um, um, it comes also after the um, community rehabilitation companies a couple of them were in front of the Justice Select Committee and they were kind of basically threatening to pull out of the contract because they said um, that their workload was going up but the amounts that they were being paid are going down
2: um, so yeah, it it's did. fascinating because I remember, I remember that Ian Duncan Smith really pushed this when when the Tories were in opposition. You know, this is one of the great things about this Centre for Social Justice that he founded, which is that you can have these these groups that will come in and, and run state services and do them better. And, and you know, and um, yeah, there might be a bit of proper profit for someone, but ultimately it's all about rehabilitation. You know, you could have different models for rehab, rehab that the state has failed. Um, and yet, it was Chris Grayling, I think, that pushed a lot of this. He was incredible. What a surprise! Fingerprints like all over incredibly this. <laughs> keen on this agenda, yeah, I bet and now was. as Rachel's I believe that is the <laughs> mic to laugh at that. <laughs> Chris, yeah. And Rachel's pointing out that you know it's worth going back to these things and, and monitoring it and seeing how yeah. successful or not. Eventually, Chris Groening's been anywhere near it. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> anyway, they, I, g- um, they could get even
4: more money in the coming oh, yeah. years. By the sounds of it, as well, that was the the flavour of the statement which came out.
0: Terrific. And you've also found out a certain dragon, dragon den, a dragon from Dragon's Den you <laughs> Duncan Bannatyne the, the B- B-
4: BBC <laughs> dragon yeah um a couple of his luxury gyms up in the northeast he is renting them out to um a government sub- subcontractor who is delivering the hated pip assessments for disabled people which have seen around um, fifty thousand disabled people lose their mortability cars since they were introduced and it seems that nobody on his PR team advised him that that would be a complete disaster and <laughs> that he shouldn't so do it. <laughs> gyms
0: which are there for people to, you know, obviously exercise. I don't I've never been to a gym but I've seen that's what I do. You look and like you've never been to gym. I know a gym. <laughs> all right, I just naturally good. So then you've got these people coming in for disability sessions. So it's just, yeah, I mean it's you've got I not mean not good look is it? <laughs>
4: um the, the subcontractor, the integrated care service has kind of said is that you know they've picked somewhere that has a disabled parking bit and it's just has I, all, I, yeah. has all the specifications <laughs> but I mean if you're one of these people going in there you see um, people in you know bathrobes drinking champagne having the time of their lives while you're about to found out, find out just how much money you're about to lose potentially. So this is
0: like something out of a like a dystopian Dickens novel, <laughs> isn't it?
4: That's exactly what some people have been saying on Twitter this afternoon. Is it? Yeah.
0: Good. <laughs> Good. I'm in tune with the public. <laughs> uh, well, that's it for this week. Um, but we have got no. So we're doing Labour conference next week, aren't we? Can't
2: wait. Are you looking yeah. forward to it, Ned.
0: Yeah. Come on, Ned. Look alive, mate. I haven't <laughs> lived them. Did you go to the glee club? No. Came home Why? Why didn't you go to the one, club? Just you, mm, No. You going to buy me a Tom Break mug? You didn't get me that. Sold out. Really? <laughs> no,
3: I made that happen.
2: What are we looking I love to the fact that there were John Pugh mugs as well, is yeah. not there? Oh yeah, yeah, they yeah. love it. Space um, Magnets everything. What are we, I mean, Labour don't conf- forget this time, Go on. you know, next week there won't be a podcast in this format, but there will be.
0: There'll be like, and we're going to put together like a special kind of like greatest hits of conference podcast with the, Interview with Stephen Kinnock Ooh, stay so cheap for <laughs> that, people. And um, lots of the bits as well from all the, from all our shenanigans, all our bars we're going to be, and all the boozing we're going to be doing. <laughs> and yeah. the
2: podcast live, worth remembering. Those. We're doing a podcast live. We're yeah, doing, doing a Facebook
0: live podcast live somewhere at some point. Just I'll tweet it out. It's with Stephen Kinnock somewhere. <laughs> I'm a bit fuzzy on with the details, people. Drawer. Don't worry; it's all going to be fine. We're looking forward to it, aren't we? We're going to have lots of lots of fun. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm lot looking lot forward work. to Northern Night. <laughs> to what?
4: To Lebanon Night.
0: There's a Northern Night. There is a Northern Night. There is. Yeah. You just walk around; it's going oh, to rubbish rubbish.
2: <laughs> and Diversity <laughs> Night, don't forget, Keith Faz is back. That's the big is thing. This li- is this live? Keith yeah. Faz is back. <laughs> and and Ned, what, so night.
0: Northern Night, Diversity Night, Ned, what are you going to go to? <laughs>
3: Gay Night. Right, there is one. Okay, great. They all sing. Things are going to get better.
0: Oh, yeah, they always do that. Oh, well that's because w- the they're all Blairites, well, aren't yeah, they? yeah, it's a serious yeah, point yeah. in a way. The LGBT
3: yeah. Labour is very Blairite. That's true. Yeah. And every year at the big LGBT well, party... Well, <laughs> Yeah, well, apart from Owen Jones and other people, obviously, they're always saying things are going to get better.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm going to be trying to avoid Michael Duggar and his guitar because every conference... Labour, now former Labour MP Michael Duggar walks around with his guitar in the hotel lobby at three in the morning playing Blackbird by The Beatles I'm going to walk into that oh.
3: bar and you'll have the guitar playing Wonderball and yeah, you know it yeah, Like
0: <laughs> yeah, I'll be singing like Roy Jenkins anyway right thanks for listening everyone and we will um, you'll hear from us next week thanks bye bye